Section nine of the Pagan Madonna by Harold McGrath. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter nine. If you will write the order, I will execute it at once. The consulate closes early. I'll write it, but how will I get it to you? The door closes below the sill. When you are ready, call, and I will open the door a little. It would be better if you opened it full wide. This is China. I understand that. But we are both Americans, and there's a good sound law covering an act like this. But it does not reach as far as China. Besides, I have an asset back in the States. It is my word. I have never broken it to any man or woman, and I expect I never shall. You have, or have had, what I consider my property. You have hedged the question. You haven't been frank. The son listened intently. I bought that string of glass beads in good faith of a Chinaman, Ling Fu. I consider them mine, that is, if they are still in my possession. Between the hour I met you last night and the moment of Captain Dennison's entrance to my room, considerable time had elapsed sufficient for a rogue like cunningham to make good use of supplemented the prisoner in cabin two there's a way of finding out the facts indeed yes you used to carry a planchette that once belonged to the actress rachel why not give it a whirl everybody's doing it clay eyed cabin four then cabin two and shook his head slightly dubiously he was not getting on well to come into contact with a strong will was always acceptable, and a strong will in a woman was a novelty. All at once it struck him forcibly that he stood on the edge of boredom, that the lure which had brought him fully sixteen thousand miles was losing its bite. Was he growing old, drying up? "'Will you tell me what it is about these beads that makes you offer ten thousand for them? Glass? Anybody could see that. What makes them as valuable as pearls?' they are love beads answered clay mockingly they are far more potent than powdered pearls you have worn them about your throat miss norman and the sequence is inevitable nonsense cried jane dennison added his mite to the confusion i thought that scoundrel cunningham was lying he said the string was a code key belonging to the british intelligence office rot clay exploded so i thought but hurry miss norman the sooner i have that written order on the consulate the sooner you'll have your belongings very well five minutes later she announced that the order was completed and clay opened the door slightly the key will be given you the moment we weigh anchor i say called the son you might drop into the palace and get my truck too i'm particular about my toothbrushes a pause i'd like a drink too if you've got the time Clay did not answer, but he presently entered cabin two, filled a glass with water, raised his son's head to a proper angle, and gave him drink. "'Thanks. This business strikes me as the funniest thing I ever heard of. You would have done that for a dog.' Clay replaced the water carafe on the rack above the washbowl, and went out, locking the door. In the salon he called for Dodge. "'I'm going into town. I'll be back around five. Don't stir from this cabin.' "'Yes, sir.' You remember that fellow who was here night before last? The good-looking chap that limped? Yes. And I'm to crease him if he pokes his noodle down the stairs? Exactly. No talk, no palaver. 
If he starts talking, he'll talk you out of your boots. Shoot. In the leg? All right. His employer, having gone, Dodge sat in a corner from which he could see the companionway and all the passages. He lit a long black cigar, laid his formidable revolver on a knee, and began his vigil. A queer job for an old cowpunch, for a fact. To guard an old carpet that didn't have welcome on it anywhere, he couldn't get that, none whatever. But there was a hundred a week, the best grub pile in the world, and the old man's Havanas as often as he pleased. Pretty soft. And he had learned a new trick, shooting target in a rolling sea. He had wasted a hundred rounds before getting the hang of it. Maybe these sailors hadn't gone pop-eyed when they saw him pumping lead into the bull's-eye six times running. Tin cans and raw potatoes in the water, too. Something to brag about, if he ever got back home. He broke the gun and inspected the cylinder. There wasn't as much grease on the cartridges as he would have liked. "'Miss Norman?' called Dennison. "'What is it? Are you comfortable?' "'Oh, I'm all right. I'm only furious with rage, that's all. You are still tied?' "'Yes, ma'am.' "'I really don't understand your father.' "'I have never understood him. Yet he was very kind to me when I was little. I don't suppose there is anything in heaven or on earth that he's afraid of.' "'He is afraid of me.' "'Do you believe that?' "'I know it. He would give anything to be rid of me. But go on.' "'With what?' "'Your past.' Well, I'm something like him physically. We are both so strong that we generally burst through rather than take the trouble to go round. I'm honestly sorry for him. Not a human being to love or be loved by. He never had a dog. I don't recollect my mother. She died when I was three, and that death had something to do with the iron in his soul. Our old butler used to tell me that father cursed horribly, I mean blasphemously, when they took the mother out of the house. There are some men like that, who love terribly, away and beyond the average human ability. After the mother died, he plunged into the money game. He was always making it, piling it up ruthlessly, but honestly. Then that craving petered out, and he took a hand in the collecting game. What will come next, I don't know. As a boy, I was always afraid of him. He was kind to me, but in the abstract. I was like an extra on the grocer's bill. He put me into the hands of a tutor, a lovable old dreamer, and paid no more attention to me. He never put his arms around me and told me fairy stories. Poor little boy, no fairy stories. Nary a one until I began to have playmates. Do the ropes hurt? They might if I were alone. What do you make of the beads? Only that they have some strange value, or father wouldn't be after them. Love beads doesn't sound half so plausible as Cunningham's version. That handsome man who limped? Yes. A real adventurer, the sort one reads about. And the queer thing about him, he keeps his word, too, for all his business is a shady one. I don't suppose there is a painting or a jewel or a book of the priceless sort that he doesn't know about, where it is and if it can be got at. Some of his deals are above board, but many of them aren't. I'll wager these beads have a story of loot. What he steals doesn't hurt the poor. So long as the tigers fight among themselves and leave the goats alone, it doesn't stir you. Is that it? Possibly. And besides, he's a handsome beggar, if there ever was one. He has the face of an angel. And the soul of a vandal, with a touch of irritability. Now you aren't fair. A vandal destroys things. This man only transfers. 
for a handsome monetary consideration only transfers a picture from one gallery to another well we've seen the last of him for a while anyhow i wonder will you answer me a question perhaps do you know where those beads are a little while gone i smelt tobacco smoke she answered dryly i see we'll talk of something else then have you ever been in love have you violently so i believed but you got over it absolutely and you oh i haven't had the time i've been too busy earning bread and butter what was she like a beautiful mirage the lie in the desert you might say has it ever occurred to you that the mirage is the one lie nature utters i hadn't thought she deceived you yes a short duration of silence doesn't hurt to talk about her lord no because i wasn't given fairy stories when i was little i took them seriously when i was twenty-three puppy love it went a little deeper than that but you don't hate women no i never hated the woman who deceived me i was terribly sorry for her having lost so nice a husband with a bit of malice he greeted this with laughter it is written she observed that we must play the fool some time or other have you ever played it not yet but you never can tell jane you're a brick jane she repeated well i don't suppose there's any harm in your calling me that with partitions in between they used to call me denny and you want me to call you that will you i'll think it over denny they laughed both recognized the basic fact in this running patter each was trying to buck up the other jane was honestly worried she could not say what it was that worried her but there was a strong leaven in her of old wives prescience it wasn't due to this high-handed adventure of clay senior it was something leaning down darkly from the future that worried her that hand mirror better not talk any more she advised you'll be getting thirsty i'm already that you're a brave man captain she said her tone altering from gaiety to seriousness don't worry about me i've always been able to take care of myself though i've never been confronted with this kind of a situation before frankly i don't like it but i suspect that your father will have more respect for us if we laugh at him has he a sense of humour my word for it he has what could be more humorous than tying me up in this fashion and putting me in the cabin that used to be mine ten thousand for a string of glass beads i say jane what when he comes back tell him you might consider twenty thousand just to get an idea what the thing is worth i'll promise that all right then i'll try to snooze a bit getting stuffy lying on my back the brute if i could only help you you have you are you will he turned on his side his face toward the door his arms and legs began to sting with the sensation known as sleep he was glad his father had overheard the initial conversation a wave of terror ran over him at the thought of being set ashore while jane went on still he could have sent a british water terrier in hot pursuit jane sat down and took inventory she knew but little about antiques rugs and furniture but she was full of inherent love of the beautiful the little secretary upon which she had written the order on the consulate was an exquisite lowboy of old mahogany of dull finish on the floor were camel saddle bays persian in pattern on the panel over the lowboy was a small painting a foot broad and a foot and a half long it was old she could tell that much 
It was a portrait, tender and quaint. She would have gasped had she known that it was worth a cover of solid gold. It was a Holbein, the younger, for which Clay some years gone had paid Cunningham sixteen thousand dollars. Where and how Cunningham had acquired it was not open history. An hour passed. By and by she rose and tiptoed to the partition. She held her ear against the panel, and as she heard nothing she concluded that Denny, why not, was asleep. Next she gazed out of the port. It was growing dark outside, overcast. It would rain again, probably. A drab sky, a drab shore. She saw a boat filled with those luscious vegetables which wrote typhus for any white person who ate them. A barge went by piled high with paddy-bags, rice in the husk, with Chinamen at the forward and stern sweeps. She wondered if these poor yellow people had ever known what it was to play. Suddenly she fell back, shocked beyond measure. From the direction of the salon, a pistol-shot. This was followed by the tramp of hurrying feet. Voices, now sharp, now rumbling. This grew nearer. A struggle of some dimensions was going on in the passage. The racket reached her door, but did not pause there. She sank into a chair, a tremble. Dennison struggled to a sitting position. "'Jane?' "'Yes.' "'Are you all right?' "'Yes. What has happened?' "'A bit of a mutiny, I take it, but it seems to be over.' "'But the shot!' "'I heard no cry of pain, only a lot of scuffling and some high words. Don't worry.' "'I won't. Can't you break a piece of glass and saw your way out?' "'Lord love you! That's movie stuff. If I had a razor, I couldn't manage it without hacking off my hands. You are worried.' "'I'm a woman, Denny.' I'm not afraid of your father, but if there is mutiny with all these treasures on board, and over here— All right, I'll make a real effort. She could hear him stumbling about. She heard the crash of the water carafe on the floor. Several minutes dragged by. Can't be done, said Dennison. Can't make the broken glass stay put. Can't reach my ankles either, or I could get my feet free. There's a double latch on your door. See to it. Lord. What is it? nothing just hunting round for some cuss words put the chair up against the doorknob and sit tight for a while the hours dragged by in stifling silence meanwhile clay having attended to errands lunched had gone to the american consulate and presented the order his name and reputation cleared away the official red tape he explained that all the fuss of the night before had been without cause miss norman had come aboard the yacht and now decided to go to hong kong with the family this suggested the presence of other women on board. In the end, Jane's worldly goods were consigned to Clay, who signed the receipt and made off for the launch. It was growing dark. On the way down the river, Clay made no attempt to search for the beads. The salon lights snapped up as the launch drew alongside. Once below, Clay dumped Jane's possessions into the nearest chair and turned to give Dodge an order, only to find the accustomed corner vacant. Dodge? he shouted. He ran to the passage. "'Dodge! Where the devil are you?' "'Did you call, sir?' Clay spun about. In the doorway to the dining salon stood Cunningham, on his amazingly handsome face an expression of anxious solicitude. End of chapter 9 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com